any children out, you can come down. We're going to have a little children's moment. Come on down and sit on the floor with me. Anybody else? Okay, I think that's it. So today in church, we're talking about prayer. So who can tell me what prayer is? Anybody know? Thinking about God and Jesus. Okay, good. Anybody else have a thought on prayer? What's prayer to you? This is complicated, isn't it? It is. How about talking to God? Do you ever talk to God when you pray? Yeah, mm -hmm, me too. How about listening to God? Do you ever listen to God when you pray? Did you know that? Did you know it's a conversation? It goes two ways. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I do a lot of talking. And I forget that God's going to talk to me too, right? Let me tell you something. How should we pray? Do you have an idea how we should pray? What do you think? What do you do when you pray? These are hard questions. I fold my hands and bow my head usually. Do you do that? I usually do that. It helps me focus, I think. Well, let me tell you something. I have a helpful guide to help you know how to pray. Who can read this word? Acts, Acts, A-C-T-S. It stands for something, and I'm going to teach you that today. Let's look at A, A-C-T-S, yep. Who can read that word? Adoration. Anybody know what that means? Adoration. If you adore something, what do you do? You love it. You love it so much if you adore it. So adoration is praising God and telling him how great he is. So we're going to step-by-step talk about how we should pray. So let's start with A, adoration. We should start our prayer with, oh, my gosh, God, you are so great. Something like that. Does that sound good? I think that's good. How about C? What's that word? you read that? Confession. Does anybody know what that means? Yes, what? Confess to sins or something you've done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wrote down confession. We should talk to God about ways we've fallen short or messed up or made poor choices. We should ask for forgiveness and make changes. How's that sound? Good. You think you should talk to God about that? Yeah, ways where you might mess up. Okay, how about this? What's that word? Thanksgiving. Not turkey. Not turkey Thanksgiving. What do you think this means, Thanksgiving, when we pray? It is a holiday. You're right. Giving thanks. Yeah, we could thank God for some blessings that we have in our life. What are some things you're thankful for? Family. Yeah. Friends. What else are you thankful for? God. Yep. These are all great things that you can just tell God. God, I am so thankful for my family. I am so thankful for my friends. And here's the last one. This is a big word. Can you read that word? Supplication. Got it right off the bat. Good job. Who knows what that means? It's not about supper. I wish it was about supper. I love supper. Yeah, that, there, it probably comes from the word supply because it's asking for things that we need. So let's talk about that. Asking for things. This is where if people say, hey, I have a prayer request. Could you um, pray for my math test coming up? I really need to study hard for that, so I do a good job on my math test. That's a prayer request. That's something that you should pray to God about. You should ask him for things that you need and make your requests known to him. So all of that, we can, where's my axe word? We can praise God with adoration. We can confess things that where we've messed up, where we've made mistakes. We need to talk to God about our sins. 
thanksgiving. We can tell God how thankful we are for our blessings. And supplication, that's where we make our requests known to God. So those are easy ways to remember how to pray. For what? Amen. That's right. Another A for amen. That's perfect. I love it. Did you know there is no perfect prayer? Did you know that? Sometimes when I pray, especially if I'm in front of lots of people, I get really nervous because I'm sometimes not real good with my words. But guess what? God knows what's in your heart, and everything that you say to him is perfect, and that's a perfect prayer. So who knows when we should pray? When should you pray? Anytime, every day. These are good answers because you know what the Bible says? The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, it says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray continually. What's that mean? Continually, yeah. Keep praying. Keep on praying all the time. We can pray before we eat. We can pray before bed. We can pray when we wake up. Those are great, great times to pray. But you should always pray. Did you know that? Sometimes I just keep a constant conversation to God in my head. And I really like that because that's where you can do the most talking and the most listening just all day in your head. So we're going to pray together right now. And then I'm going to give you an activity packet to take back to your seat with you. And what it has in it, it has your little activities and crayons. It also has a bookmark. And on this bookmark, you can put it in a book. You can put it in your Bible. You can just hold on to it. It has it written down, Acts, the ways that we should pray. And then on the back, rejoice always, pray continually, etc., etc. So you can remember that. And then there's also, now I just thought this was kind of funny. I hope you think it's funny too. I put two pieces of candy in here. They're called now and laters. Because you should pray now and you should pray later. And all the time. So you get candy too. So let's pray. Dear God, you are amazing. And we are so thankful that you let us talk to you. And you let us bring our requests to you. God, I just pray that you forgive us when we make mistakes. And that you just help us to remember our blessings and be with us throughout the day as we spend time in church, listening about your word, and as we go and spend time with our families and friends today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Becky. I appreciate that. I appreciate you uh, giving us a lesson on how we pray. I don't think we pray enough. I'm one of the leaders of the prayer ministry here, and, and I can speak for in my life that prayer has been an amazing, amazing thing as far as changing my life. What I want to talk about is why we pray. We pray because we can't walk in the garden with God like Adam and Eve did. We pray because we want God to change our hearts so that when we go out into the world, the world will see the hearts that most resemble that of Jesus Christ. The first slide that you're going to see up on the screen is of a car that I bought my daughter, my stepdaughter from my first marriage. Now, when you look at that car, you see an old car. What I saw was a car that I could afford on a modest income. I saw a car that had low miles and a good engine and a good interior. And I saw, when I looked at it, the car you'd see in the second slide, which was the one with the Pioneer Super Tuner with the six triaxle speakers and the graphic equalizer, a new paint job. Fuzzy dice on the mirror, fuzzy feet on the dash. I saw L50s on the back and Kragers all around. That's what I saw. Unfortunately, what my daughter expected was what you'll see in the next slide. That's right, a candy apple red Corvette. One that I still dream about. 
I don't blame her for wanting that car. But other than a car that was made of American steel that would hold up and be the car that she needed, what I saw was a time that I could spend with her making a car that she would want to drive and be proud of driving. Unfortunately, when she came out, the first thing she said was, you have to be kidding me. This has got to be some kind of a joke. I was crushed. I couldn't even be mad. I was so hurt. And I'll be honest with you, our relationship today is not what it should be, and it's not because of that. But sometimes that's how we pray, just like Wendy expected the candy apple red Corvette. God wants us to give him our time, and he'll work with us with our time to make our lives what it is that they're supposed to be. They may not start out as the candy apple red Corvette, but they can sure end up there. I want to talk about three stories in the Bible that reflect prayer. The first one is about Job. For those of you who aren't avid readers of the Old Testament, Job was he was a man who was a righteous man. God was approached by Satan. Satan said, what about this guy? And God said, my servant Job, now there's a guy. There's a righteous man. Satan said, well, you know, after I have my way with him a little bit, we'll see how righteous he is. So the story goes that Job loses everything he has. He loses his wealth. He loses his family. And eventually he loses his health. And he has three friends who come to see him. They see him sitting in the ashes with sores all over his body, crying out to God. They cried with him. They sat with him for a week without speaking. How many of you have sat with somebody for a week without speaking? They went on and they went back and forth trying to figure out why it was that Job had deserved these things to happen to him. Everybody had a reason. Everybody had an excuse. There must be some hidden sin in your life. Finally, God intervened and God came to Job and he said, Were you there when I laid out the dimensions of the earth? Do you know where I store the snow? Do you know where the hail is stored at? And long story short, if you read the story, you'll find that Job repented. He said, God... I have done wrong. I've concentrated only on myself, and I haven't thought of you. He cried out to God for help. And in his repentance, God asked him one thing. Pray for your friends, because they have caused me to have great wrath against them. So Job prayed for his friends, and Job was restored. And this, The model of that story is that Job's heart was changed for God. Job was a righteous man, but he had let his relationship with God suffer. So we pray so that God can change our hearts for him. The second story is about King David. King David was a man after God's own heart. King David was brave enough and trusted in God enough that he took his sling and he took on Goliath, the great Philistine warrior. And with one stone, he took Goliath's life. 
So he was a man after God's own heart because of his trust in God. But what about years later as king when he committed adultery with one of his best soldier's wife? Was he still a man after God's own heart? Well, I think when you see, as he finds out when Nathan brings it to his attention that he has just taken as a wealthy man the only thing of value that this poor man, Uriah, had. David repents. And if you read the Psalms, which are worth reading every day, you'll find in Psalm 51 that David cried out to God and said, God, my sin is ever before me. Create in me a clean heart. Renew in me a steadfast spirit. Don't remove me from your presence. And please let me still have your Holy Spirit. The thing that David, with all of the things that went wrong in his life afterwards, because he was destined by God to live a life where he would be under trial and persecution for the rest of his life. The thing that David wanted most was just to be in God's presence. He just wanted God's time. And prayer is where we find God. That's where we find God's time. And our time is the most valuable gift that we can give to God. The third story is about Jesus. He was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed so hard that he bled. He prayed because he knew what he was facing. He was facing a life that was going to come to an end in the most painful and horrific way that we can think about. He was going to be spat upon, stripped naked, whipped, beaten, carry a cross up a hill, and he was going to die for us, for our sin and our shame. When Jesus prayed, he always prayed about what would happen, not what had already happened. I pray, God, I did this, I messed up, now I need your help. Jesus prayed, God, I'm going to face this. I know I need your help. That's how we need to pray. We need to pray in advance of our mess-ups. We need to let God be in our life all the time. Jesus gave us everything that he had to give. He gave us his time in life, and he gave us his time in death. He gave his life for us. When he prayed in Gethsemane, he said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, yours be done. Three times he prayed this. And in the end, he willingly walked to the cross. So the third reason that we pray is so that Jesus and God can change our hearts for the world. He changes our hearts for him. He changes our hearts when he heals us. And he changes our hearts for his world. So that we can go into his world and maybe reflect him. I want to close with a story that's not in the Bible. The story's about a man named Jack Kendall. Jack was a young man who had grown up in the Midwest... Jack moved to the East Coast. 
He had a family, a wife, and a couple of kids. He kind of forgot about his home, home state and his hometown. One night on his weekly phone call with his mother, Jack said, so what's going on there? And his mom said, well, you know, Mr. Belser died last night. She said, Jack, did you hear me? He said, yeah, I heard you. I was just thinking about all the time that I spent with him over at his house. I kind of forgot about him. To be honest, I thought he may have died years ago. So she said, his mom told him, well, he didn't forget about you. He talked about you all the time. He talked about all the things that you did together on his side of the fence. So Jack went on to talk about all the things that Mr. Belser had taught him. He taught him carpentry work. He said, Mom, he taught me everything. He taught me things he thought were important in life. His mom said, you know, he stepped in when your father died, and he kind of became the male figure in your life. Jack thought about it for a minute, and he said, you know, Mom, I'm going to fly back home. I'm going to go to the funeral. Jack was true to his word. He came home. He went to the funeral. It was uneventful, very small, very short. Most of his family was gone already. He didn't have kids. After the funeral, Jack's mom took the key she had to Mr. Belser's house. She took that key and they went inside for one last walk around the house. Every room that they walked through, Jack's mind was flooded with memories of things that he had done with Mr. Belser. Finally, his mom noticed that Jack wasn't with her anymore. She said, Jack, what's wrong? Jack said, it's gone. She said, what's gone? He said, the box is gone. What box, Jack? Mr. Belser had a box. He said it was the thing that he valued most in his life. He kept it up here on a shelf, and it's gone. And now I'll never know what it was that was so important to him. Mom, I got to go. I got to fly out early in the morning. So Jack flew home. Two weeks after he got home, he got a note in his mailbox that said, package requires signature. Pick up at the post office. So the next day, Jack did that. The package that he picked up looked like it could be 100 years old. Had brown paper on it. Jack returned to his car. He noticed the return address said Mr. Harold Belser. With hands shaking, Jack opened the, the gift, and inside was the gold box. With that gold box was an envelope said to my friend Jack, your friend Harold Belser. There was a key. Jack opened the box, and inside was a beautiful gold watch with hands shaking, tears welling up in his eyes, Jack rubbed his hands across the casing of the watch. Eventually, Jack opened the watch, and inside engraved was, Jack, thank you for your time. It's what I valued most. Your friend, Harold Belser. 
Our time is the most valuable thing that we can give to God. We have nothing else that he wants more than our time. He wants our time to change our hearts for him, our time to change our hearts for ourselves and for his world. That story is very special to me because I lost my dad when I was 12. And a guy you're going to hear a lot about in the next year as he runs for governor, at 19 years old, spent time with me. Took me to ball games. Took me to dinner. Even took me on a date with his girlfriend one time. How many 19-year-olds do that? He realized the most important thing he could do to stand in the gap for me was to give me some time, just like Mr. Belser did. Three years ago, as I sat in my mom's room on the last day that she was on this earth, I was there with Janie, my wife, a pastor friend of ours, and a hospice nurse, and in walked an old woman. This old woman was named Joanne Steele. And Joanne Steele had these steely blue eyes that when she knew your heart wasn't right with God, she'd look right at you and she'd say, you need to change your heart. And you knew when she said that, she said it because she cared as much about you as you cared about you. Joanne walked in the room. She said, I've been praying for you for a week. She didn't know an hour later my mom would be gone. She said, I'd like to pray for you today. And so we prayed together in the room. Moments like those where somebody steps up and stands in the gap for you and prays for you and gives you their time are the most important moments of your life. Who will you give those moments to? Who will you pray for? Who will you stand in the gap with? We give God everything except this one piece we hold on to, and it's the only piece that he wants. It's your time. He gave it to you, and he wants your time because he values you and your relationship with him. And he values you to go out and change this world. Would you pray with me? Father God, I just thank you for today, and I ask that you give us eyes to help us see. Who needs that phone call? Who needs that visit? Where can we stand in the gap for somebody else? Help us to see those that are in need. Give us hearts to help them heal. Give us the strength to keep moving forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, John asked me to speak today, and he asked me a long time ago what my vision was for the prayer ministry here. And my vision, I told him after thinking about it a little bit, was I'd like to have six teams of four people that pray for all of us all the time. Every day, all throughout the day. John asked me again recently what my vision was for the prayer ministry here was, and it's much greater than that. My vision is, is that the care that we all need with the pains that we carry deep inside of us, 
that every one of us will take it upon ourselves to stand in the gap for each other. And we'll be a church worth dying for. Thank you. One of the things that we do when we have our fifth Sundays is I think it's really important that you don't just hear from me. I think it's really important that you hear from the heart from those within our family. And I wanted you to hear Doug's heart. And I hope you hear his heart and his passion for prayer. Because I tell you, that's foundational of everything that we're going to do here from this point forward is prayer. Are we praying for our community? And then are we willing to engage in our community? Are we willing to do whatever it takes, as Doug, as Doug said, to draw near to God? So I just want to share just a few moments from one scripture. I'd like you to turn over to James chapter 5, verse 16. And I'm actually going to pull out of King James. And most of us have heard this verse with King James. How many of you, when you were a kid at least, heard King James Version? Anybody? Yeah. It's a little hard to understand sometimes, but every once in a while there is a verse that I grew up with, and I heard it so often in King James that I really can't think of it any other way. So I would like for us to stand, and I'm going to read this verse and have a short prayer, and I want you to pray over this verse as we go into it. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another, that ye may be healed for the effectual prayer, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand before you and we honor you and we lift up your name and we pray because you love us so much. Help us to be a congregation, a family, as Doug said, that will pray for one another and stand in the gap. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent us your son. And it's in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Okay, you can all be seated. Listen to that verse one more time. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Two key words that I love, and the first is the word out of that text, fervent. Now, what do you think of when you hear the word fervent? And I thought about this. So fervent is something that you feel really strongly about, almost to the point that you could say, yes! and stand up. So we're going to show you some pictures, and if you're like a yes that motivates you, will you stand up and clap, okay? Don't be shy. I know you've had biscuits and gravy. You're way down. This gives you a chance to kind of move up and down. You ready? So here's the first picture. If you see this and you're excited about that, would you stand up and clap? First picture, please. Mother Bear Pizzas. Yeah. Wow. Good. A lot of pagans here today. Good to know. Okay. Here's the second picture. Okay. If you... Peyton Manning. Yeah. Yeah, a couple of you. Good. Okay, here's one I think is universal. Okay, here we go. Ready? Here we go. Chocolate. Yeah. Oh, oh give it up. Wow. Here's the last one. Ready? Spring, 50 days away. Let's give it up. For, yeah. Okay, that's all I've got. Let's have an invitation here. Okay. We know what fervor means. We know what it means to be fervent about something. And all of us, honestly, there is a fervency in all of us for, for different things. Uh, here's, here's one that I, I wouldn't put it up there, but I've seen all these levels. And I thought parents were fervent about their kids. And then you start hanging out with grandparents, and they're almost obnoxious. Can I have an amen? I mean, wow, that's fervent. Now, look at this text. He said, 
to the entire church. He said, do you realize you can change the world if you were fervent about what? Prayer. You share with one another. You confess to one another. You, you're willing to share your brokenness, but are you fervent about prayer? Man, that word fervent is huge. Gary Thomas, the author, said this, anyone can date God. But the truly mature, they seek to be faithful for a lifetime. The verb and the noun forms of that word pray appears 375 times in Scripture. You know what he's saying is it is easy when we need God to just randomly call out to God when we're in a panic. Anybody can do that. But what it really takes in a mature uh, Christian and a believer is one who every day is saying, you know what? I just want to have a relationship with you, and I want to fervently cry out to you because I don't know what life would be without you. Anybody can have uh, this relationship with God from a distance where you just throw out a 911 prayer, but really anybody that's striving to grow closer to Christ fervently, are you willing to communicate with Him on a regular basis? Those of you that have been married over 20 years, would you raise your hand? Over 20 years, okay. Would you say that communication is important for a healthy marriage? Would you say that communication is, is important for survival in marriage? Would anybody say that? And yet somehow in the spiritual realm with God, we don't, we don't see that, that we need to be in constant communication with God. The second word here that's important is the word, the prayer of a righteous what? Man. Now, I asked Alan Phillips, I actually called a good friend of mine who is a scholar, and I said, um, is this speaking specifically to men, or is this for everybody? And they said, well, it's interesting, in that particular passage, it is dealing with everybody. Like, that word man, that actually deals with everybody. But, they said, if you notice right after that, he uses the example of Elijah. And he said, now, here's a man who prayed, first of all, that it wouldn't rain. Then he prayed that it would rain. And I said, so what I hear you saying is, it really is important for men to pray. That I'm not just speculating on it. And I said, no, absolutely. It is important for men to pray. So let me just share something from the bottom of my heart that honestly, I've observed my entire life. I think I'm in many ways like Doug. My dad passed away when I was four. So I was raised by a single mom and a sister. And I will just tell you from observing them and observing the church that I grew up in and churches, countless churches over the years, do you know who really prays? It's not the men. A lot of men, for some weird reason, think prayer is almost feminine. Let me let the ladies in the church do that. Let me roll my sleeves up and you know, let me do the real work. Really? Because, boy, that is nowhere in Scripture. Did you ever think about, of all the things the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them? I mean, what would you have asked Jesus? I might have started with miracles. I would have liked to have been a part of that action when you, you know, pretzel bread, boom, there, you know, <laughs> miracles. Or what about just walking on water? Jesus, teach me how to walk on water. Boy, that, that is a great thing to do. All the amazing things, and yet they watched him so closely and said, would you just teach us? to pray because when you pray, it's like you're so connected with God. We need that. What would happen here on the west side if every man sitting here took this one verse seriously? Do you think it would change this church? 
You think it changes town? You think about it. If men seriously prayed, fervently prayed, pray for your family, pray for your kids, pray for that boss you cannot stand, but you keep praying. Keep praying. Let me just share with you briefly some of the things as far as prayer in the west side. If you're sitting near a booklet, would you hold that up? Just I want to show you what it is. This is really a cool thing. Um, this is for everybody, and the suggested price is like a buck. And so next week, if you want to throw in the a buck in the kitty, we'll have somebody in the back. But here's what it's all about, and I love this. It's starting on February 10th through Palm Sunday. Every day there's a reading. And it's just to draw your heart close to God before Easter. You do realize Easter this year is the last Sunday of March, okay? It is really early. But here's the great news. This will allow you to get your heart right leading up to Easter. So if you'd love to be a part of that, take the book home with you today. If you're like, I'm not going to do that, then just leave the book here and we'll pass it on to somebody else. But it's going to be a great prayer tool for our entire congregation so that our hearts are right leading up to Easter. Second thing that's really important is the prayer team wants me to let you know this. Every Sunday from 9.30 to 11.30, there's always going to be somebody in the prayer room. There may be a time in the service and you're like, I just don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And seriously, that's what that room is all about. So continue to do that. And the other thing is uh, the prayer team really wants to expand. If God has laid on your heart and you want to pray for this congregation, you want to pray for others, they want you to be a part of this. You know, it's not an exclusive club. And so please contact Doug and others. Just let them know that you want to be a part of the prayer ministry because I can't tell you how important that is. And then the last thing is, starting next week, we're going to have a basket up here, and there's going to be prayer cards just like they do on the east side. And if you fill out a prayer card at any time and you put that in there, they guarantee the prayer team within 48 hours, they're going to be praying for you, okay? Now, what does all that have to do with where we're headed right now? And that is we're heading into communion. And this is another thing that I want us to be striving for on the west side. The reason we have the communion station set up every week is because we want to give you ample opportunity, and we don't want to rush you as you break the bread that represents the body of Christ, as you drink the cup which represents the blood shed for you. We want to give you a lot of time to do that. And if you're visiting, you can probably see here, it's kind of strange. We have pillows. You're like, it's obvious John's preaching. They have all these pillows up here. But here's why we have the pillows. Because we want to create, especially during the communion and after communion, a time and a place for you to pray. You ever had one of those weeks where you don't know what to do when you're hurting and you come in here and you're like, what do I do? And we want you to know how important it is to have a place that you can pray. And here's where the real courage is. Communion is also community. So as you're coming up to the table, you may have friends or family members and you know they're going through a hard time. You know what the most courageous thing you can do is, hey, if it's okay with you, can I pray with you? And do it right there. We want to be a church that find, finds every way possible to pray for one another because out of that brokenness, we draw closer to Jesus Christ. So as I prepare our hearts for communion, let me pray with you and pray that God will move through our hearts as we break the bread this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you this morning. We break bread and we drink the juice 
because we honor what you have done for us through your brokenness. Lord, you made us whole. And Lord, as a community, as we come to the table, I pray that we pray for one another and that we realize how hard life is and how desperately we need one another. And Lord, help us to fervently pray because we love you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.